0: Well, again happy Mother's Day I uh, just want to talk about one thing first before I head into a Mother's Day message if you take out your program and you rip off the communication slips so if everybody could take out their programs and uh, rip out their communication slips we encourage you to fill that out just uh, your name each week if you come regularly just let you know that we are here you're here uh, so we can care for you better uh, but we're going to be having two Sundays of prayer, two Sundays, May 15th and May 22nd, and we're trying to make it as easy as possible by having it during the service. So you come to an 8 o'clock prayer meeting, they're about half hour, but you can just come for a portion of a time. Uh, 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock, you know, step out of the worship service and then come back in and 9:30, step out of the worship service. 10:30, uh, and then 11, 11:30, and 12, and and 12:30. So what I want you guys to do is to take out that communication slip and circle if you would like to be a part of a meeting next Sunday. Uh, circle number nine, circle number nine, which is under your name on that slip. Uh, the next steps is like one through ten. So circle number nine, and then just write out what time you can come. And friends, we are really doing everything we can to encourage you in prayer. And we want you to just step out of your comfort zone. You don't have to pray at all. Just come out and be part of the experience. I really want to challenge you uh, to sign up for one of these times. Because prayer is a power of the church. And so we want to encourage you to grow in prayer. And we're trying to make it as convenient as possible. And then if you want to pray on May 22nd, circle 10. Then again, write down uh, the time. So I hope you certainly can be with us. And uh, a great time of lifting up our needs before the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 145. Verses four through six One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Starts out one generation shall commend your works another. They will pass it on. They will tell you the stories of what God has done in their lives and what God has done in Scripture, His wondrous works, awesome deeds, and God's greatness. And moms, that's your most important job. Is to instill in your child's life a deep love for Jesus. And and lead that child into that saving relationship and teach that child who God is and how great He is. That is the most important thing you can do because they're going to carry that throughout life. That knowledge. And when they think back on you, they're going to say, yeah, my mom was a very godly woman. And they might stray for a while and come back. But again, if you lay that foundation, the chances are much higher that your children are going to walk with God Throughout life. So that is what we're after. Again, all of these things apply to men and women. Uh, we talked talking to moms today. Let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this time where we can throw a worship party for You. Just uh, celebrate who You are. All You've done for us. You're amazing, God. You're amazing. That's why it's so important that we show our kids who you are. But I pray for women in the audience who are struggling today, and maybe because of infertility, and uh, I just sense how painful that can be as I've talked with ladies who are struggling with that. I pray that you would comfort them and encourage them. And may they know that uh, we are thinking of them as well. Or It could be uh, someone who lost their mom either this year, last year, year before, you know. I mean, when you lose a mother or a dad, uh, it takes a long time uh, to work through that grief process. I pray you also uh, help them by putting grace into their lives, uh, by them really believing that you understand and that you know exactly how they're feeling. I pray you comfort them as well. In Christ's name, amen. A righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Think about that statement for a second. A righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Of course, we're consumed in living in this generation and caring for our kids and things of that nature. But when you really see the big picture, your desire as you disciple your kids is to see the big picture of their life and what they're going to be like in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and your age. Uh, See the whole picture. Uh, Lori and I, we have uh, three boys in their 20s, so we have the advantage of seeing that. And uh, we just keep dreaming and praying for them because we are building the next generation. You especially as moms are building the next generation. We are a group of people under Christ who are committed to help you, come alongside you, Have adult models who can encourage them and show them what it means to be a Christian. So moms, I know (laughs) motherhood is so difficult. I mean, there's a lot of joys and everything, but there's a lot of very long days. And so if you tend to get discouraged, I would encourage you to maybe write out something or make some type of drawing that reminds you what the big picture is. You're not just dealing with a screaming three-year-old. You're dealing uh, with a person who's going to be an adult and will hopefully make a great impact for Jesus Christ. And you're also investing in that child so they'll invest in their children, right? From one generation to another. We've always got to be reminded about that because uh, in our culture we're very much in the now and we just have to see the big picture of things because it helps us understand things, it gives us patience, and it helps us uh, to move forward. Titus. Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete, and Paul was his mentor. Uh, he was discipling Titus. And Titus was a younger pastor. You've got to remember... The gospel was brand new back in that day. So it was probably the first church on the island. And you had a lot of people who had a lot of baggage uh, from their past, trying to work out their sanctification, seeking to be holy. And so Paul writes to Titus and he encourages him because there were problems at the church. You know, there are problems at every church, (laughs) right? The discipleship process many times bring about problems. But we need to embrace those, and we need to grow through them. So he's writing this letter to Titus. Look what he says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to too much wine. So he's directing that at the older women because they were not living as as God wanted them to. Uh, They had to be reverent in behavior. They need to remember that they had a new identity in Jesus Christ. And they need to cut off friends. They need to cut off habits and activities that they had been involved in. Uh, Many of you know you were a new Christian. You had to go through that process. But again, it was the first time a church was there. First time the gospel was there. So there were probably a lot of things to sort out. So, but Paul says, you older women, you have the responsibility to train the younger women. I think it's interesting because he talks about older women. Now our culture has put seniors on the shelf to some degree. You might get some type of discount at different places. Uh, But again, you don't get the respect that you really deserve. What the Bible talks about. I mean, elders are very, very important in that day. And the Bible teaches that as well. I also think it's interesting that this is uh, (laughs) Paul's strategy to bring health to the church. you got all these people with all these issues going on in their lives and they're trying to figure it all out. And he says, you know what? You guys need to get together and talk one-on-one or one-on-three. You need to get together and the older women need to train the younger women. So what was his strategy to bring health back to the church? It was discipleship, right? It was one coming by another and just encouraging, challenging them, doing life. And uh, and that's what really we've been talking about with our discipleship focus here. We're so excited about the work that's being done with the alongsider. And the whole idea behind it is to create another level of spiritual development. You know, we have our large group here. And then we have our small groups, which again... All that's discipleship. But when you get down to about two or three people, that is really when people change because they trust each other, they love each other, they're accountable to each other. So really what Paul was saying is start coming alongside each other. Come along and work. You older women who have more wisdom. Go and train the younger women. Uh, we probably have some small groups that have older and younger women. But one of the things I'm really looking excited, I'm excited for, is that as we continue to train more alongsiders, that we'll be able to match up older women with younger women. And it will just be an incredible thing. Like in there was a woman out in New York that set up her own rent-a-mom business. And... For $40 an hour, <laughs> she would be your mom. Uh, she'd listen to all your pains and uh, difficulties in life. Uh, she'd even make home-baked cookies for you. I'd probably go the short for that. <laughs> $40 a batch. But the point is, is that she found so many millennials needing that type of role person in their lives that they were even willing to pay for it. Well, friends, God designed the church to do that. And as we move forward and focusing on coming alongside others, we'll be able to do that more. And if people are interested in a relationship uh, with a younger woman or an older woman, uh, we can do that. Again, so we can pass it down from generation to generation. The older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. That means they're to be holy in behavior. Again, they, they need to live in the light of God's righteousness and through His power seek to be more like Him. Not slanders, not slanders, not gossips, it's saying here. That gossip is a real problem. And Again, men and women sometimes have signature sins. Uh, I mean, they both do them, but women, I think, because they're so relational. Very much relational. And they love to talk. That The gossip comes out a little easier. (laughs) You know? And there's more opportunity for it. And friends, you know, we all struggle with this, but... Imagine if you went up to the person you were gossiping about and said, I can't stand you. Okay? I can't stand you. That would be better than telling everybody else that you can't stand them. At least you're up front with them, right? But when you go up telling everybody else, who knows? Who knows, right? So the next time you're tempted to gossip, or somebody's trying to gossip with you, we should just go to her and tell her that we just can't stand her. Shouldn't we be honest with you? Yeah? <laughs> that will throw the conversation off and get you back. <laughs> gossip, right? Let's talk to her if we got an issue, right? Yeah. We all need to be very careful about that because, of course, we like to gossip because it makes us look better, and sometimes you got some really juicy stories. Oh, i got to tell this one. No, you don't have to tell it. Unless you're part of the issue, you can help, that type of thing. Then you can share that story. Uh, but don't use other people's character for your entertainment. Right? Don't use other people's problems as your entertainment. Yeah. All right. Sl- Not We're slaves to much wine now. They drank a lot of wine and that day. It was very common. But again, you know... It, become addic- it can become addicting, and some of them were addicted to it. So they were to stop doing that. So he says, older ladies, you got to get your act straight here first before you train the younger ladies. All right? Titus 2, 4, and 5. And how were they to be trained? And it's interesting that word train. What does that speak about? It speaks about intentionality. It speaks about committed time. It speaks somewhat of a curriculum. And if you're going to train a person, let's say, in a new job, there's a lot of things you need to teach them. And when a person comes to Christ and they're a new believer, there's a lot of things to teach them. And so these older ladies were challenged to train these younger women. And again, if they did that, that would bring health back to the church. So first of all, to love their husbands and children. its kind of an overview. But how do you love your husbands and children? Well, first of all, to be self-controlled. To be self control The old ladies were to teach younger ones, you got to be self control Because we all have impulses and many times, uh, you know, we sin, we... We go overboard. Whatever that natural impulse uh, might be. And so, one has to have the Holy Spirit within you. And you have to be open to listening to the Holy Spirit in order that He might point out areas where you need to be more self-controlled. Then pure. Pure. Or holy. Set apart. We as God's kids have been set apart to be different. When anybody notices your behavior is different from anybody else, when anybody persecutes you in any way, that is when God celebrates. That's because His name is being lifted up. And you are willing to stand by your commitment to Him. So well, many times it's easy not to tell people that we're Christ followers because, well, you know, what they they think of me? And all these type of things go through our heads. Well, God commands us to be a light. Right? we got to show other people through our behavior that we're different. To be pure working at home in terms of domestic chores and again, those can be moved around being man and wife, but Again, uh, specifies a wife here, working at home, kind, kind. There are so many kind people here at Springbrook. Not, 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 no, he's not kind, but <laughs> you know, isn't there? I mean, I just come here on a Sunday morning, and I just talk with people, and I'm involved in the ministry throughout the week, and people are kind to each other. They care about each other and kindness is a beautiful thing. Uh, I was talking with somebody uh, this past week about a family issue and there was no kindness there at all. You wouldn't believe. Well, you probably could believe but <laughs> no kindness whatsoever. I mean, they were out uh, you know do some damage. But we as Christ followers need to shine. Shine the kindness even in the midst of our families who you know kind of are out of control show kindness to them and love to them and understanding to them and forgiveness with them and submissive to their own husbands. I know that that's not the most popular verse in the Bible, but it is a command. Because you see, if your husband is being like Jesus Christ, he, he's told to love you as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. This is for you, men. Have you died for your wife? You sacrificed your time and your energy. And he says, can you go to the store? you got to die a little bit. <laughs> well, sure, I'll go to the store. No problem. I'll do all the shopping. Let's not get overboard. But the point is, is that if your husband is treating you as Christ is, it will be a joy to submit to him, a joy to follow him. And of course most decisions are joint decisions, but when it comes to the point where a decision has to be made, you know, the man is a leader in the home. And I know you say, well, my husband's not even a Christian. Well, you show him how a Christian wife lives. And that would be the most powerful thing that the Holy Spirit can use in his life. That the Word of God may not be reviled. That it might not be mocked. Saying, oh, you believe in Jesus. Yeah, well, look at this area in your life or or this area. Yeah. Yeah. That causes the Bible to be mocked when we're out there not doing what Jesus would have us to do, but uh, in sin. 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And now he's talking to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. you know friends, wherever you are on the spiritual journey, God wants you to have a sincere faith. I mean, if you're young in the Lord, yeah, there's a lot of things to work on, but God doesn't want you to get overwhelmed Let's take one step at a time, but what he wants is a is a genuine faith. What sincere means. Something that's real. Something that's moving ahead even in the midst of the challenges and the baggage that you have. So God values sincere faith in a Christian who's only been with the Lord for a year just as much as he does someone who's been 50 years walking with the Lord. That's what we need to really focus on. Not like, Christian needs a list of to do's or anything like that, but I want to have sincere faith. And I want to read God's Word. I want to become more like Him. Now, where did Timothy get this sincere faith? A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. So it started out with a grandma, right? And she was discipling his mother, Eunice. So what Lois did, in many different ways, is she passed the faith on to her daughter Eunice. You want to think about that? Who have you passed your faith on to? It's never too late. Even if your kids are adults, you can still continue to be used by God to pass on your faith as you testify who God is and how He changes your life. That's one of the goals of being a mom too. You want to pass on my faith from one generation to the next generation. And friends, it is more critical than ever in the history of the United States that we grow strong disciples because we're experiencing persecution in some ways. We're certainly not popular. I'll tell you that. People make fun of us. People think we're stupid. People think that we're weak and we only can lean on God and all those different ideas. It's going to get worse. It is going to get worse. In 30 years, it will be so much worse. But there still will be churches, right, that are building strong disciples. We're strangers in this world. We don't want to belong to it. We don't want to look like it. We want to be set apart to be holy. And you mothers, you have that responsibility, that joy, that privilege to pass your faith on. And I believe that's the most important thing you can do in your life. In regards to your kids. Is to pass the faith on. Pass it on to them. Instill it into them. Pray with them. Do devotions with them. Take advantage of those teachable moments. Think strategically about how you are going to invest in your child spiritually. I used to think strategically about the child's health, the child's academics, but how much time have you spent thinking okay, how am I going to be a vehicle that disciples my child this year? How can I take it up a level? in terms of any type of new ways to express who God is to them. And it says, "I am sure it dwells in you as well." So this beautiful gift of sincere faith started out with Lois, who handed it to her daughter Eunice, then Eunice handed it to Timothy. The amazing thing When you're a Christ-centered family. How many didn't grow up in Christ-centered homes? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, you're part of the new generation, right? Part of the new generation. Your, Your mom and dad didn't have a faith, let's say, that they could pass on to you. But God has brought you to Himself. And just think, just because of who you are and how you raise your children, that you're going to impact the next generation and the next generation. So, so that's the big picture, ladies. You know, I know it's all-consuming mothering. And sometimes you're just dead tired and you want to run away. (laughs) But just go back to the big picture in terms of how you're investing in your life, investing in your child's life. Lead them to become a Christ follower and they have the Holy Spirit within them when they leave home, uh, hopefully, they'll be shining bright. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Maybe it happens later in life. But you can set a foundation. It doesn't have to be a perfect foundation. Don't be guilty. I don't want any guilt here, all right? That's not good for Mother's Day. We always look forward, right? Because God's forgiven what's in the past. And we say, okay, Now my kids aren't in their 20s or 30s, what can I do this year to impact their lives as well as my grandchildren's lives? And you'll get pushback, right? You've got to be careful, but count on some uh, pushback if, again, they're not Christ followers. But again, you can be that grandmother Lois who comes in and, and speaks and uh, loves those kids. Grandmas, uh, you have such an important role in kids' lives. Our, our our country is so individualized. And the idea of the extended family is not there anymore. Of course, they used to live together and live together. Uh, so that's why it's so important. I'm so proud of those I've talked to who do have a strategy. And uh, everything looks different based upon how receptive their kids are. Well, I'd like my wife, Lori, to come up at this time and have her share about the seasons of motherhood.
1: Throughout my life, I've struggled with being content and enjoying each season of life that I find myself in. Maybe that's because I'm the youngest of six children. And so while I was growing up, I was was always wanting to be just a little bit older so that I could do the things that my older brothers and sisters were doing. I was always looking forward to the next, next big thing in life. And this kind of thinking kind of creeped into the way I lived my life and in the way I parented as well. When I was younger, I couldn't wait until the day I had my first boyfriend and then I couldn't wait for the days when I finally was, at, was able to go to college. And then I couldn't wait to be able to have a, have a career and then to be able to get married and have children. When my first son, Brian, was born, I remember just feeling different, feeling so unsure of myself and almost afraid to leave the hospital because he just seemed so fragile and I remember him screaming and crying the first night we brought him home from the hospital, and I felt so inadequate to calm him down. And I was so relieved when Dan Dan stepped in and took him out of the room for a few minutes and said, now that's enough, we're not going to act this way. <laughs> and so slowly I was able to gain confidence with God's help and with Dan's leadership in our home. And then I couldn't wait for the day when... I, our children, my my children could roll over and then be able to sit up by themselves. We didn't have those boppy things that you guys have now. But, so that was a big deal when they were able to sit up by themselves and then to be able to walk and talk. And as I reflect back over those years, I regret the fact that I didn't realize or appreciate the value of time back then. Everyone always says, you know, kids grow up so fast. Enjoy them while they're young, and sometimes I almost grew to resent that statement, especially when you've been up all night with a sick baby or two, or when you're pregnant and you don't feel good yourself and the laundry and the dishes are piling up, or when I was really looking forward to savoring my morning coffee only to find out that my toddler had poured orange juice in the coffee maker, or, or even when I was trying to get two toddlers and a baby ready um, to go to one of Springbrook's first services by myself, and the dog decided to use that opportunity to run away. So I thought, enjoy them while they're young. You've, are you serious? I, re- I remember the, the inadequacy I felt, the insecurity I felt, um, and, when I, and I would judge myself on the quality, that I, the quality of love I felt for each of my boys and being so afraid that they might sense any, any kind of unintended favoritism on my part. And then I couldn't wait for the day when all three of my boys would be going to school all day long. I'd be able to get so many more things done, and I could actually go shopping alone. And after I dropped off my youngest son, Tommy, for his first day of, gr- of first grade, I admit I was ecstatic Some of the other moms were teary and even crying as they left the building, but I was overjoyed and I was saying, Yes. And I remember one sad mom looked at me like I just lost my mind, but I simply said to her, Well, one day you'll understand. (laughs) So, this family of mine has walked through many seasons of life together. And through all the times that I've been sprayed in the face with water, when I turn on my kitchen faucet, because one of my boys has once again rubber banded the sprayer nozzle, to all of the broken bones, the trips to the principal's office, the broken windows, theater productions, school projects, and holes in the walls, we've all learned and grown together. And I'm just so thankful that I've had the privilege, and you have had the privilege, of teaching God's Word to your children. And that is really, truly the only anchor that they can have in this world. And I'm so thankful that our children can know for sure that they're going to heaven because of the precious gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for, for programs like Awana that helped me grow so much in my spiritual life when I was younger and have trained and discipled my boys in God's word. And I'm also thankful for the Sunday school and the youth group that they were able to participate in here at Springbrook. But some seasons can be a struggle. My mom mom has told me, and I've learned for myself, that our Holy Father uses each season in life to prepare us for the next one. And it was difficult for me last year to have two of my boys move away from home and out of the house. And now that my kids are grown, I really wish I could have appreciated and valued and understood um, how precious time is while they were younger. As I look through old photos and, uh, and videos and things like that, I often wish that I could have one more chance to hold them and rock them to sleep or that I could have one more opportunity to make something out of Play-Doh with them or that one more time to listen to them share their heart after bedtime stories and prayers. But I've learned to appreciate the promise of what Jesus said when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I grew up, I remember hearing my mom often thank God in prayer for this promise. And I never really understood why this promise meant so much to her. But now that my kids are grown, this promise gives me so much comfort and peace, knowing that even though I might not be physically with my children, um, Jesus is parenting them now like he always has. And he's protecting them in such a perfect and complete way. And when I hear of their escapades later on, I just praise God that he's always with them and protecting them. And, And you and I will continue to walk through seasons of life. And these new seasons will require a renewed surrender of our wills to welcome the changes that God has planned. And in these times, I've learned that I continually need to sacrifice and lay down my plans and dreams of what their lives will look like in the future to God's dreams to celebrate and embrace his plans, even though they might be different from mine. And my prayer for my children and I guess for all the children of Springbrook is probably best stated in third John chapter one and verse four. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so my prayer is that their relationship with Jesus will be so much stronger than the one I've modeled for them and that they will walk in God's truth uh, in his, by learning his word and that he would use them in a mighty way for his kingdom.
0: Thanks so much, honey. A Godly woman, a godly woman. We got a verses come forward at this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for moms. Thank you for creating the family. In which you did, mother, a father children. Lord, and I just pray that our ministry would continue to reach out people who don't know You, who are just listening to our culture and picking up their values there. The pain, the personal pain that people are going to experience in the future because the decisions that have been made is immense. I pray that we would be able to lead them to You, not only to save them for eternity, but to save them on earth for living a purposeless life. Thank you for the gifts that are given. In Christ's name, amen.